Section 10 of the National Geographic Magazine, Volume 10, October 1899. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Betty B. Geographic Literature. A Primer of Forestry, Part 1, The Forest, Bulletin Number 24, Division of Forestry, U.S. Department of Agriculture, by Gifford Pinchot, pages 88, panels 47, with 83 cuts in text. This beautiful booklet, tasteful in topography, artistic in illustration, neat in binding, and attractive in ensemble, marks an innovation both in the Department of Agriculture and in the government printing office, and it is far removed from the conventional government publication in content as in dress. The four chapters summarize the science and epitomize the art and mystery of modern forestry in simple, comprehensive, yet withal vivid language, adapted alike to busy layman and anxious learner. The style is that of the highest magazine order, i.e., that of the vanguard of literary progress. So the book affords attractive, not to say alluring, reading. A subtitle, Part One, The Forest, gives gratifying promise that the innovation will be pursued and the style maintained. In the first chapter, The Life of the Tree, is outlined and illustrated by sun pictures in effective fashion, and in such terms as to picture clearly the structure and functions, or the anatomy and physiology, of the arborean organism. The second chapter treats of trees in their collective aspect, both as forests and as successive generations of arborean species. The third chapter deals with the life of the forest in such manner as to bring out the relations between the arborean collectives and their environment, both physical and vital, while the final chapter is devoted to the enemies of the forest, which are chiefly traceable to the human factor in the arborean environment and to the means of counteracting these enemies. So the treatment is notably broad and comprehensive, yet the grasp displayed in each chapter, and indeed each paragraph, is strong and close. The book may be commended no less to teachers and pupils than to general readers, as an example of scientific method applied to an important practical subject. It may be commended to makers of scientific books as a model and to laymen as a worthy bit of literature of the objective sort. The author and the agricultural department are alike to be congratulated on its appearance. W. J. M. The Breakup of China by Lord Charles Beresford, octavo, pages, Roman numeral 22, plus 491, with portraits and maps, New York and London, Harper and Brothers, 1899, $3. Sir Stafford Northcote was sagacious when, in behalf of the Associated Chambers of Commerce of Great Britain, he selected Lord Charles Beresford as the man to visit China and report upon British interests in that empire. Rarely, if ever, has one uniting so high rank, recognized ability, and wide experience been sent as an envoy of commerce on a tour of inspection. All doors would open before him. He would observe carefully, make no blunders, and afterward narrate just what he had seen. Reaching Hong Kong, September 30, 1898, 
He did not leave China until January 9, 1899. During that time, the Chinese government did all in its power to further his mission. Though invested with no diplomatic functions, he found everywhere the highest authorities, Tsong Li Yaman, viceroys, mandarins, governors, admirals, accessible and sympathetic. He inspected the whole military force of China and by permission of the generals put the troops through the various movements in order to test their efficiency. He visited every fort, every arsenal, with one exception, and all the naval and military schools. Also the ships of both the Chinese fleets, viz. the Peiyang and Nanyang squadrons, and one dockyard. He visited those places where British communities reside and wherever there was a chamber of commerce convened meetings and obtained the opinions of the members. Nor did he lose an opportunity of seeking interviews with representatives of all foreign nations holding trading interests in China. On leaving that country, he returned home through Japan and the United States, hoping to be able to obtain from the Chambers of Commerce some definite opinions for the Associated Chambers of Great Britain. The results of his faithful observation and investigation are set forth in this somewhat ponderous book. Lord Beresford terms it a plain statement of valuable facts for immediate use. A large part of this information is accessible nowhere else. Because of the known reputation of the author, its statements, as far as they are statements of facts and not personal inferences and opinions, are entitled to full credit. The title, The Breakup of China, expresses what the author realizes is becoming a fact. This catastrophe he deplores, believing it injurious to Great Britain. A patriotic British subject, his outspoken and only concern is the advancement of British interests. There is no hypocrisy or cant about him. Knowing that his country retains the commercial scepter of the world with a failing hand, he would keep China alive so as not to lose a purchaser. His position does not differ from that of any other commercial traveler, except that the commercial house he represents is the British Empire, and that the wares which he would press into the market are whatever that empire produces. For the fall of China, now perhaps inevitable, but which once might have been avoided, he holds the inefficient foreign policy of the British government responsible. Meanwhile, he forgets or ignores the fact that to China's territorial integrity, to the physical welfare of its people, and to the authority of its government, more staggering blows have been dealt by Great Britain than by any other country. An ardent advocate of an Anglo-American alliance, he insists that the interests of the United States and Great Britain are absolutely identical. He does not fear Russia, but he reveals an awesome consciousness of Russia's existence. He suggests in his first interview with Chinese authorities that the British government would allow an officer to help the Chinese to put their army in order. When shortly afterward asked whether, if China put the whole of her armies under British officers, Great Britain would assist China in any quarrel that might arise between her and any other power. He remarked that he would not enter into any political questions, but that the last thing Great Britain wanted to do was to mix herself up in quarrels which might arise between other countries. It is not strange that, 
the idea is gaining ground all over china that great britain is afraid of russia the disintegration of an empire containing four hundred million people and yet powerless to protect itself is an astounding spectacle unparalleled in history yet such impotence is an argument against its political continuance it is difficult to doubt that the breakup of china will advance civilization and even benefit the fragments into which the empire breaks edwin a grosvenor amherst college les lacs francaises by andre de la Bec, etc with portfolio atlas containing plates roman numeral one through eleven quarto pages roman numeral twelve plus four hundred thirty six panels roman numeral twenty two paris typographie chamereau et renoir eighteen ninety eight this is an imposing and exceedingly rich repository of information concerning the lakes of france in their principal aspects beginning with a lively preface in which he emphasizes the declaration that there are lakes in france the author proceeds in the first chapter to classify the water bodies by the natural provinces in which they occur including the alps the jura the vosges the central plateau the pyrenees and the atlantic and mediterranean littorals the second chapter recounts the processes of sounding with the apparatus employed and sets forth the results which are shown in greater detail in the accompanying atlas while the third chapter is a detailed description of the more noteworthy lakes then follows a chapter on the lacustrine topography including shores bottoms islands taluses fans and deltas submerged ravines etc and another on the lacustral sediments and other constituents of the lake basins the next chapter is devoted to supply discharge evaporation and changes in level of the lakes and still another to temperature which is discussed in some detail with relation to climate depth temperature of affluence etc in chapter eight the colors are described and the principal causes of coloration analyzed while the mirage receives attention and the succeeding chapter is devoted to extended consideration of the solid and gaseous materials held in solution in the lacustral waters the portion of the work of widest interest is the tenth chapter pages two hundred forty two to three hundred forty three in which the geologic relations of the region and the lakes are discussed at length and which ends with the classification of the water bodies by known or supposed origin the historical and social aspects of the lakes are indicated in the eleventh chapter which is followed by an extended descriptive table of the principal lakes of france with reference to the provinces in which they occur and to the sheets of the official maps on which they are represented the work is fully indexed and well supplied with lists of contents and illustrations there is little reference to the accompanying portfolio which is really a distinct publication its sheets are variable in size and form and show little more than the shores and subaqueous contours of the principal lakes and their convenience is somewhat diminished by inconstancy in contour intervals and bathymetric tints the monograph forms a highly useful compendium of facts arranged in accordance with well-established scientific principles w j m
End of section 10.